things about this season of Lent. Our fast, of course, is the most significant thing for us in our daily lives. To observe the Lenten fast is very important. It is an appeal of mercy, for mercy to Almighty God. Heaven knows God's mercy is needed, though, as much as ever. And so I ask you to please be faithful to the fast. <clears throat> Liturgically also, there are things that are different. The vestments are violet vestments for the time of Lent. There are feast days that are celebrated, as we will have the feast day of St. Gabriel the Archangel coming up on Tuesday and the Annunciation of Our Blessed Mother on Wednesday. So beautiful feast days are celebrated during this time. But during the masses of the time, Lent itself, Quadragesima, the vestments are violet vestments. The one exception is merely tolerated by the Church, and that is the rose-colored vestments of this Laetare Sunday. But as I say, the Church tolerates the rose-colored vestments. It is not really her first choice. <clears throat> she wants, as her first choice, the violet vestments of Lent. Now notice that next Sunday is Passion Sunday. And also notice the announcement I placed at the end of the uh, schedule for the week that sacred functions and times are subject to change due to prevailing conditions, mandates. And I ask you to keep in touch with us so we'll be able to keep you informed about anything that might change. Now I do bring to your attention the need for prayers for your fellow members of the church and Catholics throughout the world. I ask you to pray for the entire world in uh, the needs of those who are suffering, especially in this current crisis. There are many aspects to the suffering uh, being inflicted on the world today, and uh, we should be praying for all of those who are touched by this suffering. The epistle for this, the fourth Sunday of Lent, is taken from the epistle of St. Paul to the Galatians, chapter 4, verses 22 to 31. Brethren, it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are said by an allegory. For these are the two testaments, the one from Mount Sinai, engendering unto bondage, which is Agar, for Sinai is a mountain in Arabia, which hath affinity to that Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But that Jerusalem which is above is free, which is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry out, thou that travailest not. For many are the children of the desolate, more than of her that hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born according to the flesh persecuted him, that was after the Spirit, so also it is now. But what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free, by the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free. Please stand for the Holy Gospel. The Gospel is taken from that according to St. John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
At that time, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is that of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus therefore went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Pasch, the festival day of the Jews, was near at hand. When Jesus therefore had lifted up his eyes and seen that a very great multitude cometh to him, he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to try him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, saith to him, There is a boy here that hath five barley loaves and two fishes. What are these among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. The men therefore sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them that were set down in like manner also of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, lest they be lost. They gathered up, therefore, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above to them that had eaten. Now those men, when they had seen what a miracle Jesus had done, said, This is of a truth the prophet that is to come into the world. Jesus, therefore, when he knew that they would come to take him by force and make him king, fled again into the mountain himself alone. Thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel. Please be seated. Gather up the fragments, lest they be lost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I should also mention that among the practices of Lent is the silence of the organ during this time. The organ is not to be played during this time unless it is needed to accompany the singing. And uh, also you noticed when you came to Mass last Sunday that the holy water fonts were not only empty, but actually the dishes were removed. And I was given both credit and blame for that. Well, I neither deserve any credit nor really any blame for it because I was away and I also returned to find them gone, but I understand why they were taken away. But I bring this up because it is, in my mind, emblematic of what is happening to us today in our country, in our communities, in our homes, even here in the church, things that are happening that are rather distressing. And uh, this is a small, as they say, emblem of that problem, which I wanted to address right now, hopefully rather efficiently. There are three Masses today. The next Mass is at 9.15, and then there's a third at 11.30. Now, with regard to holy water, I wanted to provide each and every one of the families with a bottle of holy water to take home with them, to have on hand. It is a wish of mine for years and years now that everyone would avail himself or herself of the holy water here at the church and take some home with them, have the holy water in their homes and have it in their cars. 
I realize that not everyone does. There are, I wouldn't venture to say how many, uh, what percentage of you actually do that. But I actually have ordered 400 small bottles, which I intended to personally fill and make available to you. Unfortunately, they've not arrived yet. However, I have begun filling small bottles and placed them over there at the infinite Prague altar on the side. For those who do not have access to holy water at home, and um, I make those available to you, you would have to label them for yourselves, but the bottle is rather distinctive. And uh, I would ask that if you have holy water already at home, in your car, in your person, if you can bring a bottle for yourself or take some with you today, then by all means do so and leave these for those who don't have any means to take some home with them. But I think it's important, especially these days, to have that in your home, to be able to bless your home and to bless yourselves. But in light of current conditions, developments in our nation, our state, our cities, and as I say, even in our homes, in all of our society. We have rumors of things happening now and rumors of things to come, uh, reports and rumors that are very distressing. And I wanted to address each and every one of you with regard to these things because they affect each and every one of us. Now, for nearly 42 years, I've been bent on making sure that those who wish to receive the traditional Catholic sacraments and to attend the traditional Catholic Mass have access to the sacraments and to the Mass. And so not only I, but so many other traditional priests have been traveling uh, seemingly almost continually and, and working to maintain the traditional Catholic religion in the minds and hearts of the people and to maintain the traditional Catholic faith and belief also in your minds and in your hearts. All of our energies have been bent to making that happen. <clears throat> we are faced with a situation now though that might actually mandate the closing of our churches. <clears throat> there are developments that have happened in our country that we see entire states uh, mandated by their governors and the populations of those states to be uh, sheltering in place, to be confined to home quarters, uh, venturing out only for necessities, such that if people venture out from their homes, they will be questioned to determine whether they have sufficient grounds to be outside their homes. This is equivalent to placing everyone in the state under house arrest, except for those who are exempt from that decree. This is very distressing, as everyone, I think, would acknowledge. This is very distressing. We have traditional Catholic churches that have stopped their public masses for the people. Uh, masses are being offered by the priests, but the people do not have access to them. It's very, very concerning to us here. Now, I intend to comply with all legitimate government mandates as far as the Catholic faith and my conscience allows. I think that is the right thing to do. But of course, that is not absolute. There are 
legitimate government mandates, and there are illegitimate government mandates. We know our Catholic faith has taught us that all the time. Even our own civics knowledge of America have shown us that because when we were once a colony, we refused to obey the mandate of the king. Our independence depended upon that, actually. So we have to be aware that there are limits of civil authority, but there is also legitimate civil authority too. And the, to know the difference and to know how to respond to that in a faithful Catholic way is what is most important to us right now. Now, we've been told that because of the virus, the coronavirus, but there are many kinds of coronavirus, many types of it, so they refer to this as COVID-19, which is actually the specific name for this particular microbe, this particular pathogen, as COVID-19. Because we've been told to limit our gatherings to certain numbers, although in this state, the governor wisely exempted houses of worship and churches from that, from that limitation. We are glad and grateful for that. Nonetheless, we should try to follow the spirit of that mandate insofar as we can. We follow the spirit of that so that we, well, number one, don't provoke any harsher restrictions. And that is only prudent. We try to uh, observe that. So families sitting together is perfectly fine because they live together. But they should, as they, they like to use the expression, social distancing. Now, well, social distancing uh, 50 years ago was called shunning someone. Uh, it has taken on a new meaning in our own day, though. It just means simply being separated from another person, even a dear friend, uh, they say, by a distance of six feet. And that is prudent. I've heard medical doctors say that this does lessen the chance of of passing pathogens from one person to another. So there is really nothing wrong with that idea from a medical point of view. But we are going to discontinue for the time being the coffee and donuts after mass and the Lenten dinners, as you know. Things that are primarily social events, we are going to be discontinuing those for the time being in light of the requests and uh, I call them mandates. They're, fortunately, in the state of Ohio at least, they're not being enforced by law because we are expected to be able to take care of these things responsibly on our own and do the prudent thing. And so we will. Now the 11.30 Mass this morning was scheduled because I am not able to go to Baltimore for Mass, as I was expected, and so I was able to have an 11.30 Mass, and I wanted that to be primarily for our senior citizens, who we understand are more at risk uh, of catching this virus and more difficult to treat. But I've also sent out word that because of the climate prevailing today in our society and also the fright, the fear that is generated by the virus and the way it is portrayed, that one would not, one who has a serious fear of catching or certainly even more so transmitting this disease 
would not only be exempt from the obligation, the moral obligation to attend the Mass, so that one would not be sinning if one stayed away because of the real fear. After all, we do know that there are legitimate reasons for missing Mass, even on Sunday. And illness is one of them. <clears throat> Fearing catching an illness ourselves or bringing an illness for others to catch. These are legitimate reasons for the, ch the church herself has told us throughout the centuries are legitimate reasons for not attending the Mass on Sunday. We still have an obligation to sanctify the day as well as we can. Though. <clears throat> so that applies especially to those of our members of our church who are up in years. <clears throat> but there are those in that age category and otherwise who insist that they will be at Mass in any case, they would not endanger anyone else by coming ill to Mass, <clears throat> but they are willing to take whatever risks are involved in coming to Mass, receiving the sacraments themselves. And I will not shut the door against them or lock the door against them, of course, if anyone wishes to come to attend the Mass and receive the sacraments. <clears throat> but still, prudence dictates that we provide for them and uh, also not only have a mass primarily for their benefit but also uh, to allow them to spread out in the church as we have been asked to do. So these precautions we take are not only prudent but they also hopefully will forestall any further restrictions on our liberties deemed necessary by public officials. Now, with regard to the actual problem today, with the regard to the actual threat, what is it, where is it coming from? Well, we see that there is a lot of anxiety today. People are actually suffering a certain amount of trauma. And uh, the question arises uh, whether they're being traumatized by the virus, COVID-19, or whether they're being traumatized by the reaction to it or both. Some ask the question, is this disease really that serious? Is it really that dangerous? And uh, others ask the question, is the response to the disease proportionate to the danger? Uh, is there a problem with the response? Is there a problem with the disease? Is it a serious problem? Is there a problem with the reaction? Is it a serious problem? Some would say, yes, the disease is extremely dangerous, and no, the response is not over, overdone. Some would say the disease is not what it's portrayed to be, not that dangerous, and yes, the response is grossly exaggerated. But I believe that the answer to both questions is actually yes. I believe that this particular pathogen is dangerous, particularly for certain individuals, certain types of individuals in our society, that it does represent a danger to them, and that it has to be taken seriously. I do believe, based upon reports that I'm reading and hearing, that it is not necessarily as dangerous as it is portrayed to be, that the numbers we have are insufficient for determining the conclusions that are being spread abroad by the media and 
driven by the media and thus the politicians and the leaders, political leaders, also often driven by the media, it seems, to make the decisions they have. But at the same time, we realize that there is actually a pathogen there, and it is infectious, highly infectious, in fact. And it has, in fact, uh, occasioned, caused uh, grave strains on healthcare systems around the world, and could easily do so here if it is not contained. There is a need for containment. In all prudence, we have to acknowledge that. Um, is it as deadly as it is portrayed? Well, again, those figures are not sufficient. The doctors who are experts in infectious diseases are called epidemiologists, and epidemiologists now are weighing in on this subject, and actually some of them, at least, are warning us not to be panicked by this because they say that the information we have on this new virus, and it is a new pathogen, uh, they say the, the evidence is not yet there. I know the media is giving us photographs, uh, stationalist photographs of what's happening around the world, especially in Italy. We're getting dire reports, and yet the medical community and the epidemiologists are telling us that we don't overreact to this thing. This is a, a flu virus. It is, um, does represent a certain danger, uh, especially to certain segments of our population. But by the same token, they say they do not have the information yet necessary to really tell us exactly how dangerous this is. And so they warn us not to be too willing to take what we're told through the uh, through the news reports that we're getting and not to fall victim to the sensationalist the sky is falling reports that are coming from some of the politicians. We see that the states of uh, California, New York, New Jersey, and uh, even across the river in Kentucky, the governors have imposed very serious restrictions on the people across the river. We understand that churches have been ordered closed down as well. And um, of course, we wonder, are these things really necessary? Are they right? Are they good? Are they helpful? Or are they doing more harm than good? But we have a perspective on that as Catholics that we should keep in mind. Unfortunately, the Novus Ordo, the New Order religion of the Vatican was the first to automatically volunteer to close the churches, well, at least to close their liturgies off of the public attendance, such that the Italian police had actually broken up groups of people who wanted even to peer through the doors of churches to watch their liturgies in progress. It has come to that. It has come to that. And we certainly don't want it to come to, come to that here. So what what do we do? That is the question, the practical uh, response we have. Well, let me just point out that the medical community is braced for a kind of avalanche or, as it has been described, a tidal wave of cases of this virus because it seems to spread by stealth. 
and it seems to spread by stealth because so many people, they say, carry the virus but have no symptoms whatsoever. And by the time the symptoms begin to manifest themselves, as though there's a large group, we were told, we were told when the day the governor made the announcement, we were told by the health director of this state that there were perhaps 100,000 cases undetected in Ohio of people carrying this virus. Evidence for that? None. And yet, there is a great deal of fear about this because it is stealthy, there's no doubt about it. And there's, of those who are carrying the virus, most remain asymptomatic. They do not show symptoms. In fact, an epidemiologist in Stanford University has said that most of the people who carry this virus will never know it if they aren't tested for it. They will never know it because they'll never show any signs of it whatsoever. But of that large group, there are a subset, there is a subset that will show mild symptoms and they will try to treat it uh, with normal means, over-the-counter means. And of that, there is a, a subset that will show symptoms that are more moderate, somewhat more severe. They may see doctor's help. And of that, there is another subset, a smaller group, who will show serious symptoms and they will need medical attention, even going to the hospitals or clinics, and might even have to be hospitalized. But there's enough of them that we're not prepared to handle them all at once. And this is what we see happening. And because of medical systems, like socialist medical systems around the, around the world, that are really not prepared to handle a situation like this, that's where you see the uh, reports, that's where you hear the reports and see the pictures of people suffering and being laid in on the floors of hospital wards because there are no beds. Again, this you find happening more in socialist medicine than in a country such as ours. Nonetheless, our nation is, our medical people are bracing for an influx of patients all at once, we're waiting to see what happens even now as cases are beginning to multiply slowly here in Ohio. The doctors are on standby waiting to see what's going to happen. They don't know, they can't predict, but they're ready. God bless them for that. They are willing to expose themselves to this virus to treat others who have it and have severe symptoms, but they don't know what to expect and they are very clear about that to you. They don't know what to expect, and so any panic is premature. What is, what is a fact, and this is what I haven't mentioned yet, is the effect it's happening on all of those, including the vast majority of our people who are well and are going to remain well. And that is how this is affecting us. It is having catastrophic effects on our economy. It is having catastrophic effects on our society. And that is not directly caused by the virus, but that is caused by the reaction to the virus. That is called by the, caused by the social and political reaction to the virus. Now a response is a thoughtful measure. A reaction is not a thoughtful measure. Uh, those who say, well, do something, do something, anything, are reacting, not responding. We would hope and pray that our political leaders are responding and not merely reacting 
to the hyperbole in the media, we have to pray for that. But there are some very severe consequences for so many, many people. There are, so, there are a number of them who have the virus, that is true. But beyond that, for every one of them, there may be a hundred or a thousand people who are suffering from this because of the political and social reaction that is going on around us, driven largely by the media. <clears throat> the medical community is warning us against both, against political overreaction and against social overreaction. That is why we are hearing sensationalist reports coming out. At the same time, people are saying, don't panic, don't panic. Well, what nonsense is that, of course? It is very confusing, very disturbing, and very traumatic for people who don't know how to respond, don't know what to do. Well, I won't go into detail anymore about this, certainly, but I do uh, tell you what we'll be doing here at the church, because ultimately I will have to make the decision as to whether barricade the church or not to you. So, uh, we've tried to make the following of the prayers available to you online, and I thank those who work so hard to make that happen. And there are things that you can do uh, to pray at home during Lent, that is true. We pray that our governor here in Ohio exercises moderation and does no more than is really necessary to protect the population of Ohio uh, from any, any threats. Uh, that we realize that every, every measure, government measure that is taken has consequences and damaging consequences in one way or another. So we ask for great prudence on the part of our leaders. Um, one thing that has been done for those who are elderly and are reluctant to come to church and to um, be exposed as they say, to the virus. I don't want them being denied Holy Communion. Now, very frequently, Father Greenwell and I uh, take from the tabernacle, the sacred host, our Lord, and we carry him out the door of the church. We carry him into the parking lot. We get in our vehicles. We drive down the highways. And we take Holy Communion to those who are ill in the hospitals or homebound. So it would be no problem, really, for us to take the Blessed Sacrament even to those in their parking lot in the cars. For those who are elderly, for those who are infirm, for those who are ill, and they don't want to come into the church for that reason, but they want to receive our Lord and Holy Communion. We don't want them going weeks. Who knows? Now we're being told, again, sensationally, that this may go on for 18 months, we're told. But don't panic, we're told. We're told, we're told. Well. A word of that in a second. But I don't want people going for a long time without receiving our Lord and Holy Communion. And I don't want those who are afraid to come into the church for fear of catching some pathogen to go without receiving absolution in confession. So for those people who come to the parking area of the church, <clears throat> if you let us know, we would be happy, either Father Greenwald or I would be happy to bring Holy Communion to you. Now, some of the Novus Ordo clergy are doing that, some of the more devout Novus Ordo clergy, who actually think these things are important. 
and doing so. But unfortunately, they're handing, handing wafers doors and windows. Well, you know that won't happen. <clears throat> going to receive our Lord in Holy Communion as a traditional Catholic would and must. I know that a number of even of our elderly people will come out of their car and kneel down to receive our Lord in Holy Communion. But if you can't, that's understandable. There are those who don't get out of the hospital beds to receive, and we will bring you Holy Communion. If you're waiting to receive worthily and even hear confession there, as we have to do often when we're traveling <clears throat> and on communion calls. So don't be afraid of that. All you have to do is let us know and we'll make arrangements with you for that. I don't want you going without the sacraments under any circumstances. So the bottom line is, and I know there's a lot that has not been said, um, I will remind you that this really is all the result of our own sins. It's, it's not just a matter of uh, the pandemic, it's pandemonium. It's, it's become pandemonium. Uh, and that's what is being made of this pandemic, pandemonium. And we have to keep clear heads and keep strong faith in all this. Do we see this as an evil? Yes. Do we see this as an evil that is being uh, manufactured? Yes, we do. Is the virus manufactured? I don't know. Uh, scientists, medical people don't know. Um, we know that uh, the viruses are generated in nature. We know that. They've been known for years. The word virus goes back to a Latin, a Latin indicating a kind of poison and, uh, or a venom like a snake. And uh, it's been, people have known about these things for a long time, even be long before they knew about the epidemiology of these things. Long before they knew there were microbes, they knew about diseases like this. Uh, we are told that it was generated, these microbes can be generated in bats and then passed to ferrets and through generations of ferrets can become weaponized against human beings and passed to human beings through the chain of animal life. Could this be done in nature? They say yes. Could this be done in a laboratory? Yes, it could. Yes, it could. The same process could be artificially created. But one thing we know for sure that all of this entered the world through sin. We have to face that fact. All of this entered the world through sin. So if somebody asks you, is this the result of God's punishment? You, the answer is necessarily yes, of course, absolutely. That's fundamental. That's Catholicism 101, as it were. Yes. We begin Lent by reading about the entry of Lucifer, now Satan, under the form of a certain serpent into the Garden of Eden to tempt. Eve. That's where Lent begins, the readings for us as priests in the divine office. Begins there. And uh, of course, Satan's temptation to Eve was that God told them not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because if they did so, they themselves would be as gods, knowing good and evil. They knew no evil at that point. There was no evil in this creation at that point. And Eve's taking that forbidden fruit and defying God, and Adam's taking it subsequently brought evil into the world. All evil in the world comes from that defiance, that initial defiance of God. 
And we see our own sins as the reason why this is happening. We have to see it that way because that's the way it is. That's what our faith tells us, that these things are happening now because of the sins of mankind. And when we look around the world and we see what those sins of mankind are, we can readily see why this is happening. The surprising thing is that it hasn't happened long ago, that God has been so patient and this has taken so long to happen. And yet it, this has been predicted by so many higher-ups for so long that one gets the impression that it was planned for. And the way this disease is propagating, if we didn't know better, we might suspect that it is actually being seeded in our own country, being deliberately spread by agents of whom we don't know. We know that misinformation is being spread deliberately. We were warned that by our own national government, that misinformation is, or disinformation is being spread even by a foreign or foreign governments to create Dis unrest and distrust here in America. We've been warned about that. We, we've, been, we've been receiving sensationalistic reports that the president is going to issue a national lockdown of everyone in the country. And then after these false reports have gotten out, our national government agents in the national government have warned us, don't believe these things because we are under attack spreading these false reports in order to wreak havoc here in America. So if they could do that, why would somebody not also be engaged in actively spreading this disease in order to, again, create civil unrest and strife here in America? But we don't know this. This is the problem. We see things happening that are very distressing. and we, we, There are things we don't know and at this moment yet can't know. But we must understand that the ultimate of all of these evils goes back to sin. And uh, for that, each and every one of us has to take some responsibility. We might say, well, you think my sins are causing this? Say, well, your sins are contributing to it, so are mine. And it's not only a matter of the evil things we're doing, it's a matter of the good things we're not doing. What we should be doing instead of the sins that we commit in order to serve God. In other words, we look back in time, we see in sacred scripture that God would spare entire societies if there were only a handful of good people doing what they were supposed to do. Just a handful of good people God would spare. Whole societies, sinful societies for their sake. Have we come to the point where there are so few who are in God's grace now that the time of mercy is spent? God forbid. God forbid. So what must we all do? We must all pray. We must all pray. We should be praying as a Catholic would pray during Lent anyway. But we have an added incentive now to pray, continually pray. I recommend praying the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel nine times a day for nine days as an, uh, as an ongoing novena. We've been told to pray, ask, pray Hail Marys and ask others to pray the Hail Mary also in honor of our Lord's incarnation. We're told to pray many things. As far as I'm concerned, this is the exact opposite of the time to close the churches, and our governor seemed to, to know that when he first made the pronouncement, how important the churches are. We need to pray and ask God's mercy. We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. And what I mean by that is don't offend God by sin. 
be faithful to him. Practice your Catholic religion. But it starts with turning away from temptation. Don't defy God. This is the source of all of these evils. And also offer patiently to God in reparation for sin all of this trouble. Are you troubled? There's not a single person, adult in this church, who is not troubled and even traumatized by what's going on right now. They're fearful of what's happening in the society. They see things happening that they fear about the consequences going into the future. They see our own Department of Justice seeking to have the, have the power to go to a judge to detain anyone for any reason deemed a suitable by them for an unspecified amount of time. And this, we know, is the type of thing that is at the root of every police state. And so we see there are things in motion now that make us worry not only for the present, but also for the future of our country. And so what we need to do is we need to offer all of that anxiety to God. We need to offer that as a sacrifice to Almighty God. If there are inconveniences and troubles we have to endure, we need to immediately offer those things to God as a sacrifice, asking for God's mercy to deliver us from these evil things, from these evil times. And we have to place all our confidence in God. These are very practical things. We need to place greater and greater confidence in God. Because the more confidence we place in God and the less we place in human beings and their follies and imprudence, the more we'll be able to turn to God for the graces that they need. Our leaders need graces from God, and we need to have a very, very important part in obtaining those graces for them. And so we need, to, first of all, to have our confidence in God as a form of worship of him. It is an act of adoration of God when we have our confidence and trust in him. And it is denying God that adoration that we owe him when we fail to trust him and have confidence in his mercy and his providence. So make that act of adoration that is confidence in God. And I would also say as well that have the attitude to comply with the orders of government as long as you can in conscience. And uh, that covers a lot be willing to offer up, as I say, these trials and tribulations of the present time. I mean, if the, if the ultimate problem is our own sinfulness and defiance of God, and that defiance of the entire world, God's law, what do we have to offer to God that is more important than our humble bowing of our head, like the king and the people of Nineveh long ago, who humble themselves in prayer and fasting, and receive the mercy of God and were delivered from imminent destruction. This was the word of the prophet Jonah who came to them. Well, in a sense, you might say that Jonah walks among us right now with the same message. And the message about the threat and its cause, but the message about the solution and its cause. And that's going to be our faith, practicing, living our faith, being in the state of grace of God, and uh, having confidence in God and adoring him with that confidence. So I ask you to please pray. Be in touch, be in contact. Pray especially the rosary. And uh, 
We hope and pray that the sacraments will be here and available for us. And I, I intend to do everything, I intend to do everything in my power, power to make sure that that happens. Even if we are told to shelter in place and remain home and don't come out unless you justify your coming, I pray that you will be able nonetheless to come and I will certainly not close the door against anyone. I can't order that the doors be locked, I don't believe. One thing that is interesting here in Ohio, again, again in Ohio we are blessed and I thank God for that. That the, the abortion clinics have been ordered to close down during this time as well. It is said that more lives are being saved for that one reason, right here in Ohio alone, that are perishing anywhere throughout the country because of this virus. There are more lives of innocent children are being saved for that reason. So God has ways of shutting down sin. And to some extent, we see that happening even now with this. It's sad to see that God would have to do this to shut down sinfulness. And we should be taking that mission to ourselves to do that in our own lives and also to set the example and lead the way in our own societies. Well, God, God grant the graces that we need now to learn from this. This too shall pass. It's only temporary. But I do pray this, that when the circumstances pass away, that we will be better for it, more faithful, love God more, have more confidence in him, be more responsive to his grace and more responsible for the society in which we live, living our faith more determinedly than ever before. So may God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.